Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's great for kids doing homework, great for reading, great for writing, anything that you need to focus on. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments and more at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1168, with guest Matthew Podwasaki. Recorded Tuesday, July 7th, 2015. Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're here again, and again, and again, and again. Again! Again! Said Tinky Dinosaurs. Winky. Again! Yes. Not the mama. <laughs> oh, you're uh, talking dinosaur. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's a good way to start any show. <laughs> Podcasting <laughs> by expert podcasters. Just come to us. <laughs> Because we will make obscure reference to barely successful 80s television shows just for you. And this is what we don't like about podcasting, just rambling drivel. (laughs) So in that case, I have something cool for you, my friend. I know you're going to like this. So roll that funky music. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, it's a solar kit. It's a solar starter kit. You can start your own sun. That's awesome. Yes, you can. You can do your own sun. And once you have your own sun, you can build your own earth. And then, you know, you're off to the races to being God. Minor details. Uh, no, go to tinyurl.com slash sunpowerkit. Solar is apparently everything solar is taken. So, hey, sun, you know. There you go. Sun power kit. I'm on Amazon. Yeah. So this is, uh, you could probably tell everybody what this is, but it's basically a starter kit that has a 100-watt solar panel and a 30-amp PWM charge controller. From what I gather from the comments in the in the description, people use this on RVs or boats, you know, to, to charge a, a 12-volt battery, and then, you know, you can use like a car battery, and then you can use, a, you know, sort of a transformer that uh, you can see there sold together quite typically so you use a a transformer to transform it into ac yeah an inverter an inverter that's what i mean not a transformer an inverter and uh there you go so but you know the reason only reason i point this out is because it's cheap and the reviews are great you know it's five star average reviews and there's only a few dissatisfied customers you wouldn't believe the amount of junk solar stuff that is for sale Oh, yeah. False claims about how much charge the batteries hold and stuff. And and I couldn't, with any kind of conscience, uh, recommend anything like that. But the uh, reviews are great, and um, people really seem to like this. And it's only 180 bucks. Yeah, yeah, I can't argue with that. And, and Renogi is uh, a, the solar panel they're using there, mm-hmm. you know, and it's considered high efficiency at just shy of 15% conversion. Yeah. You know, you can always go off and Google about solar panels getting 30 and 40% conversion, but they're not real. You can't buy them on Amazon. They're research pieces. They're not, you know, not the real product. This is a real product. It's something you can actually buy for a reasonable price. So I thought you'd like that, my friend. No, Absolutely. Learn it, love it. Good stuff. Who's talking to us, Richard? 
grabbed a comment off of show 1051, the one we did with Troy Hunt, when we talked about the security of IoT. And I figured we'd be doing a little Internet of Things today. And this was just one of those powerhouse comments. This is from George M., who says, Hello there, I've been listening to your show for a very long time. I'd like to thank you for that. Even when time is short, .NET Rocks has remained as the last podcast standing in my podcast app. So great job. LPS. Thanks. That's awesome. I'm in the security field since 1996. Part of the stuff we do now is to integrate various physical security devices like cameras, alarm panels, fire controllers, access controllers into a single simple package. I would also say that most users consider the alarm panel as part of their house, just like a toilet, it's just another appliance and it's just supposed to work. There seems to be some slow progress towards Internet of Things in the home. Ten years ago, it was very difficult to find a device that could even be connected to the Internet. Now, almost every home-grade alarm system allows you to control it from your mobile phone, which pretty much means you got to put it online. What could go wrong? But the implementation... I love it when you call us out, dude. (laughs) Oh, boy. I've seen some stuff. (laughs) I don't know if I could call it an anti-pattern, but the security cornerstone of most protocols, at least in the physical security range, is black box. Mm. When no one knows how the device communicates, it's considered safe, period. (laughs) No further investments or time are necessary. (laughs) If you have to yell at, what are you doing? (laughs) Why? What the heck are you doing in there? That's safe. Okay. Therefore, in my opinion, the most important stuff is to change the mindset and learn the simple mantra, the attacker is smarter than me and knows everything I know. Yeah, promote ignorance. That's That's the way to do it. Just keep people from learning. Yeah. Design your communication pearls with this in mind will change the way you design it, which is valid not just for protocols. The second mantra to learn is never trust your client, aka the client-side security is not the right thing. When the client says it's authorized to do such and such an operation, don't trust him. Hmm. You got to validate. Yes. There is a long way to go before we get to really simple and convenient products that will actually be secure and not require complicated settings on the users. Hey, watch this PowerPoint presentation that I've attached to the email. You'll love it. (laughs) Go ahead. What could happen? Well, and you know, I put Nest thermostats into the house, which they all take IP addresses. They all auto-update themselves. I have a nice client for me to log into now to control them all remotely. Um, good fun. And in certain jurisdictions, and I'm not in one of them, they will actually communicate with your power company. And so your power company will give you a discount if they're able to say, hey, can you turn off your AC right now? We're running low on power. So it's funny you should say that. I'm designing it, and I don't want to keep Matt out of this conversation. Matt, feel free to join in if you want. But I'm designing a uh, topology for a big IoT project right now, and we are subscribing to the Clemens Vaster's rule of security of IoT, which is everything is a client. There are no servers. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's what makes me nervous about Nest, for example. That's fair. Yeah. But there, but it's not just Nest. It's it, it seems to be rampant. As developers, we want to make servers. Yeah. And I would I would point out Nest has done a pretty good job of. You can't communicate directly to the device itself, well, right? That's good. It's posting data up to a service, so that you can see what's going on, and you could post stuff to that service, so the service is doing the validation, and that's the only source that the thing will communicate with. Well, that's good then. It's thoughtful. Yeah. But it's still, you know, you think about. 
the way they've currently architected this piece for communicating with the power company means you've got to give your power company credentials to each one of your thermostats. Yeah. Yeah. Which seems odd. Like you really want to have a central point of contact in your house for your power, right? It should be your smart meter and your, your devices like Nest that care about power and hopefully everything will eventually care about power would talk to that thing. And the only place those credentials exist is there, not in every device in the house. Right, and that, that's the interesting part about the, the whole IoT as well as the whole microservices world is the fact that there, what is, there is no such thing as a standardized central hub for, for identity. Mm-hmm. For all. anything. Yeah. yeah. This piece just hasn't happened. Yeah, there's no single source of truth as the Clemens Vaster uh, thing uh, happens to say. So everyone's a client. For sure. So, George, thank you so much for your comment. You've clearly kicked off a conversation here that I think we're about to continue. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social medias. We post every show to Facebook and Google+. We're happy to talk to you there, too. And let me introduce that disembodied voice you were just hearing. That's Matthew Podwasaki. He's a principal software engineer at Microsoft on the DX TED team. Uh, DX slash TED, what's that? Uh, developer experience, uh, technical evangelism, and uh, development. Awesome. In particular, I'm on the partner catalyst team, which uh, basically takes a lot of the the hardest problems that our customers have, and we uh, we get together with them and bang out a uh, a solution for them. And the best of all things is, you know, it doesn't have to be completely our stack. We meet them uh, basically as they are today. But really, uh, so, you know, if it's on Android or it's on iOS, whatever, uh, but it's of particular interest to us, uh, then we will certainly go after those particular projects. Okay. Well, let me finish your uh, bio here. He is also yeah. an open sorcerer and a reactive pusher. He currently works on the Tali project. It's Tali, not Thali, right? Correct. Tali as in the Indian yeah. uh, An open source platform for creating apps that exploit the power of personal devices and put people in charge of their data. He also works on the reactive extensions on all platforms, focusing on all versions, including .NET, JavaScript, and others. He's a conference curator, frequent speaker at events, and is passionate about STEM and STEAM, teaching the next generations how to code. Okay, there's your formal introduction. Yay, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not wearing the 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 open sourcer hat for you today. I, I I'm I'm disappointed in myself. You'll have to provide us with a picture because that <laughs> sounds awesome. Well, you did you see? I know Richard saw it at uh, at NDC. Uh, maybe I did. did maybe I? okay. Maybe I'm. I don't. I think I don't think I saw you there. I must have missed you. Ah, oh, jeez. If it was Friday, then that would explain it because I was out on Friday. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. So thank you uh, for for having me back. It's, it's been a while, and uh, you know, we've last time I was here, I talked about RX and and uh, in particular RxJS. And what's kind of cool about that is just how it's kind of taken a life onto its own, where uh, especially in the uh, the open source world, where I'm getting you know. You know, two million downloads a month on NPM. We have so many people uh, taking dependencies. For example, Angular two has a dependency on RxJS. Nice. Uh, we have uh, uh, 
the ECMAS, uh, the ECMAScript standardization committee, TC39, is actually trying to standardize the RX observables. So all of that stuff is just, you know, it's mind-blowingly awesome what's going on uh, with that right now. So it's an exciting time to be there, and I'm certainly, you know, inundated with, uh, uh, with lots and lots of requests to keep uh, pushing the envelope forward uh, there, obviously. Well, as anybody who does JavaScript event handling knows that, it sucks, man. <laughs> Absolutely. It sucks. Absolutely. It, you get into callback hell and then callback uh, hell. You know, these weird state uh, finite state machines that you have to, to end up programming against. Yep. And, and all that threading stuff that, that you're used to in yeah. C Sharp, yep, that's in JavaScript too. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, yeah, there's absolutely a case for race conditions and so forth, yep. especially when you're dealing with AJAX or anything callback related. So, yeah, absolutely. It's Everything's fine as long as you're only doing it once. <laughs> you do yeah. it twice, you're in trouble. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, if you could, now if you could program linearly like that, that would be great. But, uh, <laughs> but callbacks and, uh, and all of that and events certainly don't allow you to do that. And promises certainly do, you know, to a, to a certain extent, but, you know, they have their own pitfalls and they're not really for multiple values either. So, hey, before we jump into Tali, is there any other uh, comments you want to make about the, the uh, comment that Richard read? Uh, this was in, in regards to security. Yeah, in regards to security and, and what the guy was talking about. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely in the forefront of our minds, you know, as as we we're talking about, you know, living in the Snowden era, as we call it, in mm-hmm. in, in that uh, people are not only you know having each device. I mean, how many devices do you have right now that are connected to the internet? Mm-hmm. Uh, all of them. All of them, exactly. And how many of them are? How much data is actually being uh, pushed out of them? How much data is being pulled? Mm-hmm. How do you know? Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell. You, you know, it's do you read every single EULA that's out there and say, oh, well, there are, uh, Google, Microsoft, Mozilla, Apple, et cetera, are going to start taking this piece of information from you, this piece of information, and this piece of information from you. Hmm. Have you read that? Because the chances are they are. You know, they're taking a lot of information. They'll take whatever they can. Absolutely. And, and it even extends to, to your car as well. So, for example, if you're driving a BMW, they send all of their information back to headquarters. That's what they do. You know, all of your telemetry. All right. So, Tali, so when, while I was looking at this today, and this is the first yeah. time I saw it, I, I immediately thought, oh, we got like, uh, you know, Signal R with some stuff on top of it that we can actually use, <laughs> like security and synchronization and yeah, and, and is that an accurate sort of? It, it is assessment? to a certain to a certain extent, absolutely. I mean, when I was talking about you know the, the Snowden era stuff, it, what I what we're really talking about is is having people really be in charge of their data and really have it on the devices that they own. Make sure you know it syncs only to the things that they want it to sync to, uh, etc. So it's it's kind of an all encompassing. Uh, kind of uh, framework that we're working on, uh, really, because uh, it, it involves so many things. I mean, security is obviously uh, the number one thing. As as you look on our web page, what's the first thing as you build these applications? It's the number one bullet point is secure. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing uh, that always will will be. Uh, 
uh, coming up is is the fact that secure meaning I only see the data that I'm supposed to see. I'm only synchronizing the data that I want to synchronize, uh, et cetera, et cetera. When you say secure, you're just talking about encryption. You're not talking about authorization or authentication. Oh, I'm talking about all the whole shebang. The yes. whole thing, huh? Oh, okay. absolutely. Uh, in fact, tell us more. Tell me more. Tell me more, because I'm really interested in this. Okay. So, uh, so for example, uh, we have in in Tali, what we have is not only we have the encryption layer, but we also have an ACL layer. Uh, so that uh, that in particular things we can start. Uh, for example, if you had. Um, uh, take, for example, a blog entry, and then you have some uh, some comments or something like that. You want to be able to uh, view uh, set certain comments, but only edit the ones that that you've made, for example. And if that's all that information is being stored in in Tali, we certainly mark it as such, and therefore we uh, we only replicate the data that you're supposed to see. So it's actually going down deep down to the replication layer of what you see, but also it's everything's enforced in terms of the, the visibility and so forth. So yes, ACLs uh, will will physically yeah, stop you at the door in terms of looking at data that you're not supposed to look at. Right. We've got all of that pretty much down to the core of what we do. In an IoT device, um, mm-hmm. again, going back to the, the Clemens Vasters rules of IoT security, um, burning the, the key into the silicon is very desirable so that, you know, there, there's no state at which when it's booting up where it's not communicating securely. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we certainly, you know, have our, our key, you know, that we're generating when we, when we install and, and start up and all of that, and, you know, that's, that's your keys to the kingdom as it were. Uh, especially when you're dealing with local peer-to-peer like we are mm-hmm. uh, and say that I want to eventually sync to, to Richard, but I don't want you, Carl, in the middle to see uh, my particular data. Right. Well, I can certainly hop uh, through Bluetooth, hop over to you, and then skip over to Richard. because, And you might see a file there uh, in, in the meantime, meaning there was a synchronization that happened, but ultimately you can't read it. Only Richard can because he has the key to, to, to look at it. And what, when we're manufacturing our devices, we can burn those keys in if we like. It would be nice to, to have it at that level, absolutely. I mean, what we're talking about is, is the fact that you can deal with low to no connectivity environments and still be able to communicate securely uh, through Wi-Fi Direct, through Bluetooth, etc. Is there any kind of restriction on the algorithm at the asymmetric key level that we can use? Um, You're just talking RSA, private-public key transport, right? Yeah, we, we've we've got that down. So, yeah, you don't have to really worry about that. All of that's just basically going to be in the box for, for what we deliver as part of Tali. But you do have the option to use whichever... Uh, yeah, our key provider. infrastructure should just work with anyone's key infrastructure, I, one would hope, yes. Yeah, yeah. But if you're going to work with anyone's key infrastructure, you can't really burn it into the silicon, right? You have to go get the key somewhere. Yeah, we have We have basically, you play by our rules if you want to build on top of us. Yeah, I get that. And I noticed just looking through the documentation, you are talking about self-signed certs. Mm-hmm. Is there, and I mean, folks are resistant to those because they often, you know, pop dialogues and things because it's not necessarily a recognized certificate authority. Yeah, fair enough. 
Uh, yeah, we uh, we we certainly uh, realize those sorts of things in terms of uh, of that kind of security. But you 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 certainly won't notice that in terms of we have your fingerprints. We know it's it's good, etc. Right. So as long as we're controlling that that particular key, there there isn't as much of a, 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 a concern for us. But you know, obviously, uh, uh, it's. Yeah, it's 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 it. There there are lots of concerns. Trust me around the around the certificates and and all sorts of things. But uh, this this scheme that we have is 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 pretty rock solid. Okay, this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Coder Foundry. Coder Foundry is the nation's premier .NET bootcamp, teaching students the full stack .NET framework plus Angular JS in just twelve weeks with job placement services available upon graduation. Classes start every 12 weeks. To apply online or to learn more, visit coderfoundry.com slash rocks. So let's move on to the synchronization aspect of Tali. Yeah, so the funny thing is what I was, uh, what I was showing you was the fact that what we could do as we have... Uh, one of our our hallmark apps, as it were, going to be from from Tali is is called the Postcard app, and what that does is basically it's uh, uh, eventually it'll be locked down, you know, eventually to full ACLs and and so forth. But you know, we're kind of in the uh, walk, uh, you know, crawl, walk, run kind of scenarios where we want to sh- be able to you know show people that they can. Uh, write these applications where they can uh, write a note on one machine and have it automatically show up on another one and uh, do that through any number of, of ways, whether it's uh, through Bluetooth, BLE, or, uh, or Wi-Fi Direct, or any other mechanism that you might have uh, for talking to another machine. So, pe- so peer-to-peer, there is no, you know, middle person as it were we are you know sending it directly to you so that's our our handy dandy little app and what it is uh is it's uh you know to kind of open the kimono as it were uh it we're dealing with a a cordova uh application so you know uh, apache cordova the ability to write you know cross-platform apps and what we did is we uh, we decided to use uh, instead of saying plain old Node.js, we're using uh, JX Core, which is kind, of, is kind of a fork of Node, which allows you to kind of swap out the uh, the individual uh, engine uh, for uh, for Node. So in the case there, we could say, okay, I want to run Spider Monkey instead of V8. I want to run Chakra instead of V8. Uh, we can certainly do that. Uh, so that's so that allows us to be completely uh, cross-platform. So you know, in case of they have limitations on ARM or anything like that, we can completely get around all of those uh, all of those particular things. And then underneath that, uh, what we're dealing with is is uh, is PouchDB. So PouchDB is kind of a, a veneer over any number of uh, of technologies, whether it's uh, Web SQL, IndexedDB, LevelDB. Etc. So it looks and feels kind of like CouchDB, and so with CouchDB, you get all the you know the synchronization goodies for mm. free. Uh, you know, you get a simple uh, uh, RESTful API to deal with in terms of uh, of dealing with adding and deleting uh, and uh, creating documents and so forth. Uh, 
Uh, so basically, uh, the idea what we're doing is, you know, we've got a discovery service running on each individual uh, device that we have. In, case, in, in certain cases, we have, I, I, for example, have a Nexus 6 and a Nexus 9 next to me. And they're running a discovery service, finding uh, uh, finding uh, advertising uh, devices that are, are doing uh, Bluetooth, as it were, and said, aha, I'd like to synchronize to you. And so what we do is then we discuss, uh, then we get that port and then we do some muxing and demuxing of streams so that we can send over large amounts of data over BLE. So for simple developers, what's yeah. muxing and demuxing? Uh, well, multiplexing in the fact and in demultiplexing is the fact that you can take a bunch of different messages and shove them into one stream. And then on the other side, you can start to pick it apart and say, okay, th this is mine, this is, uh, this is somebody else's. Um, so basically, it's, you're feeding a bunch of different things for different machines, as it were, into a single tube. Yeah. And then come, out comes the other side, and you don't have to physically separate it all. It just, it just magically works. Okay. Um, and that's that's really kind of cool is, is the fact that we've now got this, this where we can send, you know, pretty large pieces of information. I mean, we're right now we're only talking about, you know, obviously, you know, notes that we're, we're talking about, but, uh, what, what we're, uh, scaling to are, you know, documents and documents that you can just, uh, share with one another, mm -hmm. uh, and ha have Bluetooth, which is, you know, notoriously unreliable, but made reliable through our protocols and so forth. What if you have your own transport, like, you know, using, um, you know, uh, Oh, I don't know, low frequency radio or something like that. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's certainly one thing that we want to uh, to tackle at some point. There are there are a lot of these things like radio white space, for example. I want to send over, you know, or synchronize over a pretty large area uh, via uh, via those mechanisms, and absolutely, that is that that is the um, that is the ideal is the fact that you know, for example, if you're uh, you know, outside of the Bluetooth range, but I still want to, to synchronize with you, you know, think large office buildings, think uh, yeah. factories, sure. think stadiums, whatever it is, uh, that, yeah, you could definitely use those technologies. And since it's uh, going to be completely, uh, as it were, unknown to the the app developers writing on top of our platform, they can just continue on. You just basically say, okay, just specify what protocol you want to use, and that, that's good. So you say that's something that you want to do. Is the, Absolutely. Is the transport not decoupled currently? Uh, no, it is. It is in the fact that uh, that we can we can swap out certain ones, but right now, you know, the the, the crawl walk run scenario uh, has us, you know, at, at, at Bluetooth and Wi-Fi Direct because it's, you know, it's on every single device that we have. So you really have to implement the the transport in other in order for it to work. Is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. I mean, obviously, we, you know, because you have to build all the reliability mechanisms and, yep. and so forth. Got it. into each and every one of those uh, particular uh, particular things. This also almost reminds me of the thing they've been talking about recently with Windows 10 around the whole companion app concept that, you, you know, you're making a tighter relationship between your devices. Although I think they're just thinking between a desktop and a phone that haven't mm -hmm, really gone sure. as, as broadly as you're talking. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there, there's no... there. 
yeah, there's nothing stopping, say, Tali running on a, on a desktop, for example, to be able to talk to your phone. And it's all, you know, nice and secure and, you know, doesn't require a wire to synchronize one another. So, I mean, that's that that's great. And it's cross-platform. So you could take anything from a Raspberry Pi to, you know, to an Android, to a Windows phone, to anything and and get those things to just work. We started out this conversation, you know, referencing the whole Snowden thing and knowing where your data is going and so on. How does Tally actually address this? Well, I mean, how we're actually addressing this is uh, is first through you know the discovery and the exchange of of, uh, of keys, as it were. So you know, we're we're having a whole you know key sh- handshaking infrastructure uh, that's in there that basically says. You're a Tali app. Hey, I'm a Tali app. This is great. We can we can chat with one another mm-hmm. in a secure way. Yeah, in a very secure way. So it's it's kind of that handshaking. You know, it, you first do that discovery layer, and then you certainly do that handshake and say, "Aha, you're one of me. I can certainly synchronize to you, and here's the data that you're supposed to see." Now that figuring out what you're supposed to see and letting the owner know this is what I'm moving is that okay? That seems like some tricky bits too. It is, um, which basically, yeah, I mean, it's basically going down to the the replication layer and you know just auditing what's going out and trimming out what they don't need, uh, what they can't see. I mean, it still begs the old question of you know we get we always get into this trap of how did we give away these privileges to for to all this data all these companies they buried it in a two hundred page long EULA document that ends with an okay and if you don't hit okay you don't get to play <laughs> that's right that's yeah. right even if yeah even if you're on trial or anything yeah there's really no way to you know sandbox and say what are you really trying to do yeah and you don't it's not actually a negotiation right it's yes or no. No, absolutely not. It, it, it's 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 almost to the metaphor of gun to your head. You know, either you want to use it or you don't, and there's no middle ground. I think Mark Miller has an app called the uh, Eula Reader, buddy, that reads the Eula and then tells you yes or no whether you should press the I agree button. <laughs> oh, so does it analyze it and say, "Oh my God, there are certain <laughs> language that you should." Uh, you sold your children. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Are you prepared to give up your firstborn? Actually. Uh, you know, the more we, t- we talk about this, I wonder if there are third-party services out there that keep in- keep on top of all these EULAs and simplify them in terms of what we're giving up when a new one comes out. You know, that, yeah. that would be tax dollars well spent. Well, plus, most <laughs> if you actually dig into these things, they, they say may yeah. and might. Yeah. They're not, yes. Nothing's for sure. But you know what I really like the idea of? If we're really going to take control of all of this, allow me to insert lies. <laughs> You know, okay, I can't run the app unless I send this data. It just doesn't have to be accurate. Yeah. Oh, so you, oh, you just want to send a, 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 a fake signal saying, yep, I'm That's okay. Right. I'll, yep, I'm okay. I'll send you whatever GPS location I want. You don't yeah. actually get to know where I am. You know, I'll send you whatever, you know, tell me all the data they're asking for. Here's all the substitute information you can give them. <laughs> Richard, your evil is showing. Well, yes. it's just, you know what? It doesn't benefit me. <laughs> yeah. So make sure it doesn't benefit them. <laughs> yeah. So, I, agree. so I, I'll, I, I, you know, we all we need to do is get a couple of hundred thousand people together doing this. We will poison that data set. Good luck. Are you with me? <laughs> I, I, I see Richard going out with a thing of tinfoil around some of his parts of his car to, you know, to, to shield it from speaking out via radio or Wi Fi. Yeah. Except my tinfoil hat looks like a regular hat. You just don't know. <laughs> Right. That's my whole point is, you know, what's way more useful than saying no lying. (laughs) 
Your tinfoil hat would be a chapeau. That's it. You go, wow, what a nice hat. Ask me again. (laughs) Exactly. But they're like, oh, I know this particular part of the car communicates with the outside world. So let's cover that over. Instead, we're put out a repeater, say, yep, everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's all fine. Well, guess what time it is, Richard? Uh, It must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to drop a postcard to my dev manager in the mail. I'm in JavaScript async hell. (laughs) There's a 12-year-old kid hacking my laptop from across the room, and I'm trying to handle all these audit warning events. Wish you were here. Love me. Nice. It's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first... Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Marvin Rounds. Congratulations, Marvin. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. That's like a $2,000 value, at least, from Telerik, Telerik Devcraft. And he just won it just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club that you got to sign up to win. And now, Matt, it's your turn. If you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you be buying? Oh, gosh. Uh, Gadgets. Uh, let's see. A whole <laughs> swarm of drones? No. Uh, <laughs> it, it's certainly possible. But no, I mean, what I would, I, what I would spend 5000 on is, is probably uh, – it's probably outfitting a lot of uh, local schools here with uh, with better uh, technology for education, for example, yeah. you know, giving them Raspberry Pis, giving them whatever, you know, teaching platforms that they want to do, and yeah. really just start with the fundamentals and start with something simple. The way that I started back in the early days with Logo and having an Atari 2 or whatever in the back of my uh, – or an Apple IIe in the back of my classroom. I really want you know each kid to be able to experience kind of the joy of of that. That old style of command line coding yeah. that was really interactive. Every line you ran did something. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm compute and computes gazettes for my friends, and the fact that I could read the back and what the peaks and pokes and all that did is I would just figure out what that particular line did, change uh, change the last two digits, and say, oh, new color showed, <laughs> or new sound showed. Hey, what could happen if I just start poking around in my app? You know, you, this is the exact same thing Vishwas Lely said yesterday when we asked him what he would do with $5,000. He said he'd buy a slew of Raspberry Pis and give it to his local school. Yeah, it's yeah. a I wonderful mean, give, thing. Give them, give, give them technology, but um, you know, 3D printers, absolutely. You know, those are you know essential things uh, nowadays for 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 kids. And what's great is the fact you know the the investments that you know Windows has made in terms of trying to be uh, in front of the whole 3D printing revolution. So uh, certainly that's in addition to you know to boards to to whatever uh, you know e- even. If I can throw out a plug here, you know things like Jewelbots, the uh, the thing that Sarah Chips and others are working on, the idea of you know programmable friendship bracelets. Mm-hmm. Those kinds Neat. of things keep girls interested in uh, in technology 
more so than you know than simple HTML games sure, kind of thing. Yeah. Gives them something tangible that they feel that you know speaks to them and doesn't make them you know a geek or an outcast or something like that. So if you're really serious about this and you're listening and you want to help out your local school, just between shows recording today, I went to Alibaba.com, which is the source of all things evil, and uh, I found you can get keyboard and mice like a usb keyboard and a usb mouse combination for about four dollars if you buy a hundred of them at a time so for yep. 400 bucks you can buy a hundred keyboard and mice combinations that are usb and all the kid needs then is a you know a raspberry pi which is about 40 bucks and for under 50 dollars, you've given a computer they can take home plug into their television and start writing code with absolutely yes you know you get python straight out of the box you're good to go yeah. You know, you add, and you can start, you know, get go a little bit further and get a Wi-Fi shield and then suddenly you're on the Internet and, mm -hmm. you know, the world has changed, as it were. For nothing. For nothing. Yeah. Relatively speaking. Yeah. And, and that's why I, I, I think it's, it's just so crucial is just that the, the fact that, you know, I, I, I could easily say I lived a privileged life having gotten a, uh, a computer as a seven-year-old. Um, and it was that my, my mom was the one who said, you know, you need to go into computer science. You need to do this. You need to do this. It's a good idea. So yeah. it wasn't my dad. It was my mom. And so what speaks to me about that is, is making sure that, you know, we have a diverse audience for, for programming, especially, you know, especially women and other rep underrepresented groups. We need the female brain involved in this, you know, oh, because well, we need just, you know, diverse brains in, in general. And the fact yeah. that, you know, we get, we learn so much from different cultures, different life experiences, et cetera, you know, that it's, it's incredible to have, and it's incredible to encourage. Uh, when when you go and teach at these events, I mean, it's it's a beautiful thing that that comes out of it. Um, in looking at Tali, you you talk about your soon to be invented HTTP based protocol for high latency mesh formation, and that is so loaded because I even <laughs> think we've talked really about mesh networks in general yeah. on .NET Rocks before. Maybe we should start there. What's a, what's a mesh network? Well, the, the idea of a mesh network is, is the fact that you have pretty much all of your devices uh, you know, talking to one another, and so much so you know, when I talked about sending uh, information to Richard via you, uh, that's basically how we're, you know, we're all kind of interconnected in some way. So what we're working on there is is the ability to create our own kind of scheme, as it were, uh, inside of uh, in, inside of you know well-known protocols to to create this mesh. So basically, it's we have our, our our mad science hat on while trying to do this because you know outside of things like Telegram and other applications, there really aren't that many people doing a lot of the things that we're doing here. So in a mesh network, you have sort of a peer-to-peer -peer thing. So mm -hmm. you've got a lot of servers there violating the Clemens Vasters protocol. What uh, what do you say to that? Well, I mean, basically, everyone's a client and everyone's a server at that yeah. point. As uh, is, is is what we're talking about. We're we're not only sending data, but we're also receiving data. So at at some, at, at the heart of Tali, everyone is a server and everyone's a client. 
And that's how we kind of break things down is the fact that, you know, we'll, we'll do the two-way replication, et cetera, et cetera, uh, via this mesh for what you're supposed to see. Is there a model for client-only, Tali? Uh, that's... I mean that that's debatable. I mean, in terms of what 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 kind of use case would you would you be trying to solve with client only? Uh, other than the fact is, I can I can just basically be a hub, as it were. I'm going to just steal everyone's information or whatever it is, or just store it for for logging purposes. Uh, that to me, you know, just reeks of of clients. So I, you know, it, it really depends on on the use case here. Here we're we're trying to say. We're giving you a platform that you can be both the client and the server, that you can send data and receive data mm -hmm. uh, in any number of scenarios, disconnected or you know, in, in rich environments, as it were. So, yeah, we can, we can talk about the merits of, of mesh networks, but what is the purpose of having all of these peer-to-peer -peer networks as opposed to uh, you know, more centralized uh, topologies? Well, uh, with centralized topologies, what you also have is you have the Snowden effect and the fact that someone can just walk off with a server somewhere and suddenly everything goes down, everything falls apart. But you do introduce a lot more attack surface by having all those servers, do you not? Uh, you certainly do, yes. But uh, but how many people are the you know the absolute source of truth? And so that's. Uh, that's the, that's the really interesting part about it, but y you can't really uh, you know compromise the the whole network by taking one thing out mm -hmm. uh, versus in a centralized uh, scenario if you take out the, the the complete middle, then everyone else is doomed they can't communicate with one another, and someone walked off with the entire truth of the entire world I see or, or at least a copy of it anyway yeah. yes, a copy of it yes, so you would have to. So basically, in a mesh network, the data is spread around. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it's spread around and 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 synchronized to each other. So you know, we're all eventually consistent. Uh, so multiple sources of truth. Yeah, multiple sources of truth. Where in, instead of, uh, so, but it still comes down to in the fact that if one piece of your mesh goes down, you can all still communicate. Well, but what if somebody steals one of your nodes? Do they have the complete set of truth? Uh, one would hope that we can certainly uh, remotely deactivate said thing. Okay. And it's encrypted. Like, it's I mean, an encrypt this is all part it's of the game. Yeah, right? it's encrypted anyway. So if they can get on your t onto your device and they can, uh, uh, you know, and if they can look at it, is it too late kind of thing? Um, you know, adding the extra keys, key infrastructure and encryption infrastructure that we've added. I don't know. It makes me nervous. And and I, I, get, I get the benefits and the drawbacks, but the... You know, the drawback that's hitting me is that instead of one central server, I've got hundreds of central servers. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not storing all of your ACLs in every single database. What I'm doing is I'm, st I'm storing only the information you're, suppo uh, you're supposed to see because I'm right. creating that content for you. Right. So it's your and mine conversations only. I'm not storing Richard's conversations because, well, I can't read them. So it's like if you want to do a query, let's say, that gets data from a lot of different devices, you're actually going to all of those devices and asking for their data, putting it together in the query, not at a central repository. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That's very service-oriented. Yeah, everything's encrypted in, in the way that... Um, 
what you're dealing with is, is like I said, if one node goes away, you know, the rest of the, the system doesn't come down uh, upon itself. And that uh, you can enforce security very, very easily through, you know, your own ACLs and, and, and so forth. Uh, so we can also just, you know, I can just share out the things that I know that Carl needs to see, or I can share out the things that I know Richard needs to see, and we can communicate back and forth on these particular work items, but it's all peer to peer. Yeah. And it, and it allows for segmentation network. It just, it's more in the end, it's like, we all know storing everything in one place is a mistake. Yes. So store everything whatever you want wherever you want and share accordingly it's just a you know peer-to-peer sort of has a bad rap these days maybe it's just because of BitTorrent. i think BitTorrent and tor as well it's just you know that people think of the onion network and and all of those particular uh things when you're thinking about silk road and all of those other things yeah i was a huge fan of BitTorrent, and only because it it, it would if everybody had you know used it it would have allowed us to uh, share our .NET Rocks shows in a much faster way than just, you know, in, in a more resource-friendly way than, mm-hmm. than just, uh, you know, everybody hitting the same server for the same file at the same time. Yeah, distribution for free. Yeah, and, and that's why we liked it. You know, of course, if you have security on top of that, that's... That just is another level of complexity, but we didn't have that issue. We were we were giving away our stuff anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you still find you know a lot of uh, Linux distros and stuff like that still you know offer uh, BitTorrent, but certainly not as much as as they used to. Well, and you've got ISPs who now have blanket anti-BitTorrent policies just because oh, sure. all BitTorrent is theft, right? Which yeah, is simply yeah. not true, but that's what... Yeah, yeah, the, the IP theft, but it's also eating up a lot of their their upload bandwidth that they're like, oh my god, you know, what are people sharing here? But it's also very efficient. Like That's the funny part. I've, I've been using it inside of an organization's WAN because yeah. it actually ends up, we've got to distribute large files across six sites scattered around the world. Yeah. BitTorrent actually moves less total bytes to get everybody up to sync than any right. other way. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. It's it's a great technology. Well, that that also BitTorrent depends on every peer having a copy of the same data, whereas in a mesh network, you know, you've got the data spread out a lot. Mm. So it's not like, you know, it, it's the kind of thing where your the laws of aggregation are applying. Yeah, well, I mean, what what we're we're talking about is you know the things that you know that you're supposed to see and versus what uh, what Richard is supposed to yep. see. Just you know, it, it comes down to you you might see a blob file on your on your system, but you can't read it. You can try all you want, but you cannot break that encryption kind of thing. Um, so you know the data is there; it's just you can't read it. This also gets back to that whole comment that we read earlier too that. Anybody who would say, because you have the file, you've already defeated the security, it's like, that's just foolishness. You can always get to the file. Yes. You can't count on the the absence of the file as any kind of security. Oh, absolutely. Your encryption works or it doesn't. Yes. And that's and that's why, you know, secure is, is our first bullet point. Secure, secure, secure. Right. So... What have you done so far? Like, what what can I actually run today from with Dolly? Okay, uh, so uh, so I'm actually working on a video right now showing our postcard app 
that you can basically uh, you can download and you can you can play with. Um, I'll, you know, we'll have detailed instructions on how you do it, but sure. uh, you can take uh, two Android devices, two iOS devices, and you can just uh, get them happily merrily uh, running through. You can take any number of them, and they'll discover each other, and uh, and you can start typing away and sharing these little postcards uh, uh, together. So that's kind of what we'll uh, be able to kind of show showcase, as it were, uh, for people who want to follow along uh, basically what we're doing. Nice. So there are some bits I can install. I mean, it almost feels like I could recreate this whole new Win 10 offering with the companion app without bothering with Win 10 or any other particular platform. Just run these bits and you'll get that same effect. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's the intent here. Yeah, is we provide you a, a Cordova plugin, basically, that will uh, uh, will uh, will serve kind of as the basis for your for your application. Wow, that means I can use my BlackBerry. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just that you can you can use whatever that um, whatever we have, you know, uh, a BLE uh, BLE or whatever stack uh, happens to be written for. Uh, you can you can write this Cordova app and it just you know it it will uh, it will work you know there you know I will put those in air quotes of course because uh, obviously uh, Bluetooth is is a uh, is a tricky beast and it's unreliable in in some ways and it and it changes from version to version uh, especially you know some vendors. Uh, such as uh, Google changed their uh, their interface for how they do uh, t- talk to uh, talk to to Bluetooth uh, between KitKat and Lollipop. Right. So like, so <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but it also reminds me of uh, of Groove back in the day. Right. It is kind of groovy. Yep. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Which, you know, it's like when the cloud came along, we just forgot about trying to do any of this anymore. Just put it on the cloud. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What could happen? <laughs> what could what go could wrong? possibly go wrong? Hey, Matt, you want to give a shout out to the to the team or some of them? I mean, I know Doug Seven. He's oh, a yeah, friend of yeah. .NET Rocks on the team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we have Yaron uh, is our, our team lead. Yaron Galand uh, mm-hmm. is our team lead. Uh, uh, we have Yuka, formerly of Nokia. He's out in Finland. Uh, we have uh, David Douglas from the UK who's working on it. We have uh, Sri Jaman, who I believe he's uh, from uh, the um, the Bay Area, and Sri Kant as well. So we have a pretty distributed team, and we're working very closely with uh, with JX Core. So you know we could say that we have our core team pretty much spread throughout the world, whether it's Poland, Finland, uh, uh, DC, uh, San Francisco, Seattle. Uh, and so it, it makes for all sorts of interesting uh, uh, stand-ups, as it were. That's awesome. It's always somebody up in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, I, oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we are we are always bouncing off weird ideas. But I mean, like I said, it's just that this whole area of distributed, secure networks and so forth is really a you know it, it's it's a nascent thing. Yep. Uh, you know, we we go back to you know ARPANET and all of those sorts of things. The idea of of creating all of these, you know, decentralized networks and so forth. Well, we're trying to kind of bring that back and say, you know, if one node goes down, the whole place doesn't disappear. Right. Right. 
Yeah, there's another little thing that was based on that principle. What do they call it? Oh, yeah, the internet. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But but it seems when Amazon East goes down, so does half of uh, half of the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, the early days of the internet, it was a lot more brittle. I remember there was only one IRC server, and it was in yeah. Urbana. Yep. And every, and that seemed to be the split point of the internet. Every so often, the internet would cut in half, <laughs> yep. and there'd be two IRC instances effectively because they couldn't see each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's absolutely true. And uh, but but yeah, it, it's it, it's to the point now where uh, where you know people can feel free to to share securely with each other. And really, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the days of, you know, people's information being splashed everywhere, uh, you know, people doing hacks of this and that, the idea that you can kind of say, well, that doesn't really happen in our world. Right. Uh, the fact that, you know, we can really share with one another and really kind of get back to the roots of the Internet in a way that I can say, I really only meant this for Richard. So here, Richard, have this. Yeah, that, that's really a an, laudable goal, Matthew. And you're right, we've forgotten about that. Yep. They, this, we've layered all this other technology on top that just taken that part away. This network was designed so that anybody can connect to anybody. This doesn't need to meet any stops along the way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's where we are. So, you know, we've, uh, we've got our Twitter handle at Tali Project, um, and we're continuing to, you know, work every single day. We've got a, our Atom feed there for our blog posts. We've got our own... Uh, mailing list as well. So we are, you know, doing everything out in the open. So if you go to github.com slash Tolly project, all of our code is there. We're working on it every single day. And mm -hmm. that's really kind of the, the neat thing about what we call the new Microsoft, as it were, is, is that we do as much public communication on our, on our mailing list as humanly possible, including all of our daily updates and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, we we file issues against each other. We, um, we, uh, um, obviously we create our own branches. We merge in our own code. Uh, there is no reason, you know, to keep any of this, you know, to ourselves as it were. It's better if you don't. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone who wants to pick this up and, and, and go with it, they can. And that's our intent is the fact that, you know, people who, 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 you know, physically need this kind of technology, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, life circumstances, this, this really can help them. Well, Matt, thanks so much for sharing this. It's really an eye opener. And man, I could, we, we could sit down and have a couple of beers or a scotch or something and uh, talk for hours on it, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, also, yeah, just a plug for uh, Reactive Extensions. Yes, I'm still working on that very actively. Uh, you can follow us at ReactiveX. Uh, on Twitter, and uh, we are, you know, we've got our Gitter channels and all that, so we're still around, we're still kicking, and uh, we are kicking butt towards RX.NET 3.0 and uh, kind of the Cortana scenarios and beyond, so we are, we're still kicking butt there, too. Awesome. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Alright, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios. 
a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a